0: Good morning everyone we're so glad you're joining us this morning. Uh, Such a blessing for us to be able to Um, watch these videos because it's a chance for us to worship together locally, globally. Um, So we're just really, really glad you're with us. My prayer as always is that this service has been a blessing to you and a help in these especially trying times. Uh, This week we're gonna be continuing talking about stewardship. Uh, We've been trying to say how stewardship is such a blessing to us because it kind of changes our our thinking and perspective. It moves us from thinking about whether we're savers or spenders of the things that we have. It moves us to to thinking from uh, what we have or what we don't have to this idea of stewardship, which kind of invites us into partnership with God. The God who created everything, the God who owns everything, asks us to steward what he's given us. So whether it's our our resources, our assets, each other, um, children, um, this world, God calls us to, to steward. And one of the great blessings of, of being uh, a Christian, of following Jesus, is that you are called to steward. And part of that stewardship is growing in Christ likeness, growing in care, and growing in trust. Uh, my hope for all of us is that as we grow in our faith, that we see God's blessings anew. And in our lives, we see all the things that God has gifted us and, and really work to steward them um, for his glory if uh just give me a second let's just pray together I Father God we thank you so much for um just the blessing we have to to follow you the blessing we have to not only be gifted by you but to to give our gifts to you for your glory Lord we thank you to everything you've given us you've asked us to steward for your kingdom come and for your glory Lord Jesus we thank you especially this morning as we think about each other and how you've called us to love you but also to love one another Thank you for the gift of each other, thank you for the blessing of stewarding one another, and thank you for this call. Help us to answer it with our lives. In your holy and precious name, amen. This morning, we're going to talk about stewarding one another. Before we get there, we're trying to recap a little bit. So we start off saying that God calls us to steward our resources, that is, our money. So we start off by saying, God, our resources, our money, it belongs to you. What we have should be for the kingdom, so we're giving it to you. Then we talk about stewarding our assets. And the, the idea there was, was simply, God, all that I have belongs to you. And that by obeying God's call, whether it's in hospitality or, or how we serve one another um, with our assets, by obeying God, Called to be hospitable we can steward them well this morning we're going to talk about stewarding one another and in this we say yes god all of us all of i am belongs to you but we also answer scripture's call and, and christ's call and and and, and really the call for us to also say lord we also then belong to one another so our faith is not just about you know our relationship with god but it's also our relationship with each other so god all of us belongs to you yes but Lord, we also belong to one another. There's a message we see throughout the scripture. It's a message we see um, in the New Testament, especially when it's talking about the church, God's people, and and the message kind of seems to be um, led by these four themes. You belong to each other, so love one another. You belong to each other, so serve one another. You belong to each other, so build up or encourage one another. You belong to each other, so stay united. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. I'll be reading verses twenty-five um, and then to the very beginning of chapter five, up to verse two. So Ephesians four twenty-five to five two, starting at verse twenty-five. Therefore, each of you should put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Um, As long as I follow uh, Jesus, one of the greatest tragedies, I think, that's actually perpetuated by Christians is that we teach or we we either verbally or non-verbally, we talk to each other about scripture and we talk about how the Bible is so impossible and so hard. And the reason this is a tragedy is because it really discourages most of us from actually studying the Bible. We believe this lie that it's so hard for us to know that, that we don't really spend time with it. Now this isn't all of us, but this is definitely a message that that we keep perpetuating and passing on. The Bible's so hard and, and it's impossible. But here's our reality about even the hardest things in the Bible we still have the Holy Spirit who's the one who opens up scriptures to us and, and illuminates it for us we still have the Holy Spirit who lives in us that's transforming us and helping us to understand these things we also have the body of Christ that is each other if we don't understand anything or we don't understand something we have people in our faith that we can go to and ask and say hey I don't know what this passage says or hey I'm not sure if this is how this goes we have the body and that's supposed to be a gift to each other to help usher us along we also have God on our side. And here's the thing, God wants to not only help us, God wants to be understood. And one of my favorite scriptures is actually found in Psalm 119, where God puts it simply like this, and I think this should be our prayer whenever we get to scripture. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I love this prayer because it's a reminder every time you open your Bible that, first of all, it's not just reading to read. It's it's God, I need you to come here and enter into this moment and open my eyes so I can see the things you want me to see. But the other blessing we have when we come to Scripture is Passages like this, passages in Ephesians 4, 25 or 5, 2 that I just read that are just straightforward, right? It's hard to read this passage and be like, I'm not sure what God is asking me to do. Paul makes it very, very clear. Now, Ephesians 4 25 to 52 we actually find ourselves in the middle of of what a lot of writers and commenters have called exhortations. Paul is writing in this section urging the church urging the people this is how we are to live and he does it masterfully and the way he does it is by basically um, doing two things. One is saying that this is how you used to be but this is what God calls you to be. Put off that old self and be made new in Christ. The other way he does is basically to say, I want you to look, I want you to live, and I want you to love like God. And if that sounds too big, he always does what scripture does. He points us back to Jesus. If it sounds too big to be like, well, how do I love? How do I live? How do I look like God? The answer is always look at Jesus. So these exhortations are saying, put off that old self, be the new creation. Put off that old self, love live and look like Jesus and it's straightforward right so one of the first things he says you know how do you live and love like God or how do you look like Jesus how do you put off that old self first of all reject falsehood speak truthfully and this isn't just a simple thing about don't lie right but when you see lies reject them speak truthfully in love And then probably one of the most fascinating passages, I think, and it's found in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is this commandment that when we are angry not to sin. A lot of times when we think about our anger, we say, well, I was so angry I couldn't control myself. But scripture seems to think that it's possible to be angry and not sin and if you remember the James the uh the the brother of Jesus really when he says you know death is really sitting at your door and he talks about death uh, he talks about sin and death as this idea of something that literally it starts off as a thought then and then it grows inside of you and what bursts out is sin meaning there's a process meaning that you know when you are angry you have a choice whether or not to walk in that anger or to act out of that anger. And the reason this is so important is because angry leading to sin does not look like God. Because in the Old Testament and the New, God gets angry, but we know God cannot sin. And Paul says the reason this is so important is because when we let that anger move from thought, when it grows inside of us and then it bursts out into sinful action... We actually give the devil a foothold. Now, when I was a kid, um, the older ladies in church would always say that. Don't give the devil a foothold. And I didn't know what it meant. You know, I just thought it meant like, okay, well, don't let Satan rule over you, you know. But the idea here is that when you're this new creation, when you live and love like Christ, when you're taking all these steps closer to to Christ— if you're angry and it leads to sin all that progress that you've made it's almost like a warfare term right it's like you've conquered all this land you've made all this progress but when you're angry and you sin you actually give up ground to satan so when we think about foothold sometimes we think of like you know maybe he has a little control but no no it's saying all this progress you've made it may not be negated but you definitely take steps backwards And Paul continues with these exhortations, straightforward. You know, if you're stealing, stop stealing. If you're taking advantage of people, stop taking advantage of people. If you know you're doing something that's wrong, stop it. Now use your hands not to steal, not to take advantage, not to to, to look out for yourself, but use your hands to actually do good. In this, Paul reminds us that we are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpieces, that we have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And what I love about this passage is you go from stealing and taking advantage and taking what's not yours to actually using your hands for good. And you use your hands for good. And what I love here is Paul is saying, yes, you should work instead of stealing. But it's not just or not even for your good, but it's to help others and it's to to really help the community around you, and he continues. Our words use your words not to tear down, but to build up. And, and I think this kind of this kind of makes it uh, set in stone that who Paul is talking to here is everybody. And the reason I think this is important is because a lot of times we read scripture and we're like. Well that doesn't pertain to me or or is he talking about unbelievers? I love these exhortations because Paul is basically reminding us, just because you now believe in Jesus, does not mean you're perfect. Does not mean you're not capable of of walking in the wrong direction. Doesn't mean that you can't sin. And I think all of us need this reminder that the words that we say, whether it's face-to-face or in this day and age on our social media feeds, or or whether it's phone conversations or, or relationships that we have, the reminder here is that if we are going to love and live and look like Jesus, our words must be used to build each other up and not tear each other down. Our words should be used to help people according to their needs and not what I think they need. Our words should be used for their benefit and not me feeling good about myself or walking in my own righteousness that's apart from God. Words should be used to build up and not tear down. And then Paul cycles back to anger again. He says, if you're going to look like God, you have to put away all that bitterness that's in your heart. You have to put away all that rage that's in your heart. You have to put away that anger, that brawling, that slander. Because if you're bitter, if you're just enraged all the time, if you're angry all the time, if you're fighting all the time, and if you're just going around slandering people all the time, you do not look like Jesus. You do not look like your God. Instead, choose to be kind. Choose to gift compassion. Choose to forgive. And then he wraps this all up with probably one of scripture's greatest commands, I think, and maybe the summary of all the gospel, the summary of all of scripture. He says, imitate God, walk in love as Jesus walked in love. And the love that Jesus did wasn't just for our good. The walk that Jesus did wasn't just to point us to God or to show us how to live and please God. The love that Jesus gave was sacrificial. He gave himself for us and God accepted him as a sacrifice, as a fragrant offering. Imitate God, walk in love. The idea of stewarding one another shows up a lot in the New Testament. It actually shows up a lot in Paul's writings. Um, The phrase in Greek is is alelon, and and what it means is sometimes in your Bible, you see it translated as one another or each other. And and then when it comes specifically to stewarding, though, this idea of one another, it appears about a hundred times in the New Testament alone. It's an intentional call from God that, that reminds us that when you choose to follow my son, Jesus Christ, you belong to me. And I think most of us as Christians, we get that. But it's also this reminder that when you follow Jesus Christ, my son, you belong to each other as well. For you are members of his body, members of each other, members of one another. God, all of us belongs to you must be our answer. But our lives must also show that we also belong to one another. Now, all might might appear about a hundred times in the New Testament, but it's usually grounded around these four themes. The first one is loving one another. So, for example, in John, John 13, when Jesus is saying to his disciples that, that last great commandment, love one another. And this idea that we love one another is because when we do love one another, the world will see and glorify our Father in heaven let also see in, in Paul's writings when he talks about unity. For example, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, when he talks about what does it mean to be part of the body, part of the body means that you're united together as one. It, it shows up in Philippians when he talks about serving one another in a way that you put Jesus first, then others, then yourself. It shows up in any verse that he, he asks us to encourage one another, to build one another up like he does in 1 Thessalonians. Our lesson, when we think about what it means to steward one another, I think that the four answers we need to give is simply this. The first thing we need to say is, how do we care for one another? God, help us to love like Jesus. And I've been saying this for a couple weeks now, so I, I think I finally got it myself. But I think what loving like Jesus means is that we start off with the golden rule. We start off treating everyone the way we want to be treated. And then we pray for God's help. We pray for the Spirit to keep working on us and growing us. And we move from treating everyone the way we want to be treated to loving everyone. So you start off treating them how how you want to be treated. Then you go to truly just loving them and then the spirit works on us some more and grows us some more and we grow to this point where we actually do what jesus says and he says love like me He says what paul says in this passage follow god's example therefore as dearly children and walk in the way of love just as christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god god help us to love like jesus that's how we steward one another Second way I think we can steward one another is to say, Spirit, unite us, knit us together as one. Spirit, unite us, knit us together as one. There's a lot of us who are struggling because we feel more ostracized than ever. We feel more contentious than ever and now the cynic in me says are we really that much more ostracized or do we just now see it more clearly how divided we are but for all of us who call jesus lord for all of us who says god is our god and and jesus is savior the message the call to all of us is to bring unity where there is division the call to all of us is to walk into these situations of darkness and bring light the call for all of us is not to just Take the peace of God, but to go with the peace of God and bring peace into every single situation. God, knit us together as one. Holy Spirit, knit us together as one. The way we steward one another is working for unity in Christ. The third way we steward one another is simply to say, God, teach us to serve. God, let our lives be lives of service. You know, one of the ways God the Father loves us is that God always works for our good. And the challenge I had this week in thinking about this point was, what if that can be said for all of us in our relationships? What if every single person you know looks you in the eye and believes in their heart and has evidence from your life and their life together that you work for their good? Not just that you're not a selfish person, not just that you are, you're a loving person, but when they look at you, they truly believe, oh my goodness, you work for my good. You truly steward me by looking out for me. You know, I have a couple of friendships like this, and it's really a blessing. It's really a blessing, but it's also inspiring because it reminds me that, yes, this is a gift to me that I have these people in my life who, who I know pray for me, who, who check up on me, who encourage me, who, who, who are literally, I wouldn't say they're living for me, but they're le- at least living to make sure I'm walking in the light of Christ and just checking up on me, right? But it inspires me because it, it challenges me. Am I doing the same thing? In my relationships, when people look at our relationship, is it a relationship where they know I'm praying and I'm trying my best so that they can have God's greatest good? Am I serving not just as a one-time thing, but as a lifetime thing? And that brings us to the fourth way we can steward one another. And it's probably the most practical way. And that's simply saying, Father, Son, and Spirit, build me up. So I can build up those around me. It's saying, God, help us to build each other up. Because here's the truth that I found. It's not a pendulum, this thing. It's not, you know, steps, this thing. To me, it's very black and white. And I think it's very simple to look at it this way. In your relationships with each other, in your relationships with individuals, you're either building each other up or breaking each other down. And to me, that's way more challenging. I like to think it's somewhere in the middle, and it goes back and forth. But I really, really do believe, are we building each other up? Or are we living to simply break each other down? I think if you simplify it and make it that black and white, it helps to maybe hopefully reorient how you go into these relationships. Lord, in my relationships, Am I truly building up those around me by what I say, by what I do, for some of us by what I post, for some of us by what I think? Are we really building each other up or breaking each other down? You know, these four lessons of stewardship, that that the way we can steward one another is loving like Jesus, is being united, is serving, is building each other up. I thought about when the, was the first time in my life that this was all crystallized. And it brought me to good old Halstead, Pennsylvania, and Camp Iroquina. You know, one of the, the things about Camp Iroquina is I started counseling, um, and this is going to be on the internet, so sorry, Camp Iroquina, but I probably started counseling when I was a little too young, I think. You know, I was a little bit young going into high school, so I did the counselor and training program and the junior counselor program a little bit early. But I think I was about 15 or 16. Now, I had somebody else in the cabin with me, but I was about 15 or 16. And instead of starting me off with like the 7- and 8-year-olds, they gave me a bunch of junior high people. Which, you know, I I thought the struggle for me that week was going to be like, I'm only a couple years older than them. They can't find out, you know. I thought that was going to be the big struggle. But after all the parents left, after all the kids had come in, just surveying the room, it hit me that, oh, my goodness, for the next two weeks, I have to be a parent. I have to be a teacher. I have to be a brother. I have to be a mentor. But maybe greater than all the things I had to do was what we had to do. And for those two weeks, we had to become family. This taught me how to steward one another because it reminded me of how God wants us to live, not just at summer camp, but in all of our lives. So that two weeks crystallized in me that all of us are supposed to love like Jesus. So that week, it meant sacrificing sleep because, you know, the kids like to talk. It it meant, you know, sacrificing space because junior high don't really believe in personal space. It meant sacrificing time because I was on 10 to 12 people's schedule. I didn't even know my own. Had to make sure everyone was getting what they needed to get. But it also meant sacrificing self. In the sense of that entire week, or two weeks, I had to live as if, you know, what matters the most is these 10 to 12 young men having the best two weeks of their lives what matters the most is prayerfully leading them so that they can see Jesus fall in love with Jesus keep following Jesus or for some of them learn to follow Jesus for the first time loving like Jesus has to be a way of life the second thing I learned is that we are family and I've grown out of it but we did some fun stuff to try to be family you know we had meals where I would say okay every other table is doing something different or every other table is doing something regular so we're going to do something different so every meal then it became a tradition that on our way to dinner or breakfast or lunch someone would come up with something that we would do to be different sometimes we didn't talk which is really impressive for junior high boys I'm telling you But there were some times where they said we wouldn't use utensils. And there were some times where, you know, we would only use our right hand or only use our left hand. They weren't that complicated. But you see, what these little things did is it it told them that they were together as one, doing something. They could see their unity by working together for whatever little rule they came up with. And this idea of, of being family, it has to be intentional. It has to be with the right spirit, but it also has to be in deed and in truth. And they also learned that week how to serve one another. So when we start off the week, you know, we have a, a, a cabin check, so you had to clean your cabin. And we start off on Monday, everybody was worried about, is my stuff all lined up and right? But what I loved is by the end of two weeks, people were rushing doing their stuff to help out one another. The idea of service wasn't just something we talked about, but it was something we practiced. And that's the beauty for all of us. If we want to steward one another, if we're all going around serving one another, it becomes contagious and it becomes a way of life. And then maybe the last thing, and maybe the hardest thing, was teaching myself as I try to teach junior high boys that words matter, that what we say to each other matters, that what we think about each other comes sometimes out in the words, but that matters too. But this idea of being intentional to encourage, 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 of being intentional to build up, build up, build up. And that's a lesson I forgot about all those years ago, but it's a lesson I think we need even in our world today. What if all of us who choose to follow Jesus can simply say my goal in life to steward you is to encourage you, is to build you up, and to not tear you down? Stewarding one another says, God, we belong to you. But it also says, God, we belong to each other. I want to close this by reading by um, two prayers that I kind of fused together. One is by a, a great um, theologian and and writer, I think the Catholic Church calls her a doctor of the faith, Teresa of of Avila. And I love this prayer because she reminds us of of what it means to die to ourselves so that we can serve. And the brethren in Christ, this other one is John Wesley, who we pull from as one of our streams. And this prayer just simply reminds us that we belong to each other. Let's pray. Govern everything by your wisdom, O Lord, so that my soul may always be serving you in the way you will and not as I choose. Let me die to myself so that I may serve you. Let me live to you who are life itself. Now, to God the Father who first loved us and made us accepted in the beloved, to God the Son who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, To God, the Holy Ghost, who sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts, be all love and glory in time and to all eternity. God, we thank you that we belong to you. God, we thank you that we belong to each other. Lord, help us to live lives that we truly steward one another for your glory and for the betterment of our sisters and for the betterment of our brothers. Lord, we love you. And we ask that you teach us how to love you more and to truly, truly love one another. Amen. God bless you all.